we are repentant. We are grateful. We are redeemed. We are prayerful. We are First Baptist Church. They would pride themselves in using rhetorical devices. And some of you who have studied speech know what I'm talking about. You've got to provide evidence and you need to share stories and ethos and path, all that kind of stuff. They prided themselves in being able to put together an eloquent, well-worded speech. In fact, there were many um, public speakers of the day that really weren't all that concerned with truth per se. They were concerned with turn of phrase and the ability to persuade their listeners, even if what they're talking about really wasn't true at all. And so Paul is setting himself apart. He says, I'm nothing like that. It's not about my eloquence here. You didn't believe in the gospel. You don't have the kind of assurance that you have because of my personality and my charisma. You have that deep abiding faith in Jesus because of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life and the reception of the gospel. It was Holy Spirit powered. The word came in power to them. You know, this should really um, be a great comfort for us. This should really be a great comfort for us because many of us are really fearful about telling the story of Jesus in, in the rhythms of normal life with people that we encounter or close friends and uh, people that we know in our life that need to hear the gospel. Sometimes we can, we can err on the side of preparedness, right? Gosh, I just really need to be trained before I share the gospel, which is not a bad thing, by the way. I think there are a lot of great valuable tools. Three circles is one of them, among others. But sometimes we can err on the side of preparedness saying, well, I'm not equipped to share the gospel because I'm not prepared enough. I mean, what if they ask a really tough question and I don't know what to say in response? Well, this should give you a lot of comfort in that Paul is saying it's not, a, it's not about the person, me. Yes, I need to be faithful to share the gospel. I need to tell the story of Jesus. But it's not about how I do it per se. It's not about if I have all the answers to all the questions and, and if I could give apologetic responses so that I can just kind of nail what they have to say or, or even if I have the right tool, I need to have the right tool. Paul says, you know, it's not about that at all. The Holy Spirit does the work. Now, what do we know about the role of the Holy Spirit so far? Who brings conviction? The Holy Spirit brings conviction, right? Who brings, uh, who brings light to the darkness? The, the Word does, so the power of the Spirit of God. And so Paul says, you have come to such a deep abiding assurance in Jesus, not because I convinced you, but holy because the Holy Spirit manifested the glory of the Son to you. The Holy Spirit made it clear to you. And through the Holy Spirit, the Word came to you in power. And what's true for Paul is also true for us. May we be faithful to tell the story of Jesus and leave the conviction of sin and the manifestation of the glory of the Son to the receiver, to the Holy Spirit. He will do that work. And that's what Paul is rejoicing in in the lives of these believers, that the Holy Spirit has done that kind of work. 1 Corinthians 1.18 
says this, Paul is saying this to the Corinthian church, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But listen to this, but we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. And the Thessalonians were convinced that that message is the very power of God for salvation because of the work of the Spirit of God in their life as they received that message in power. So not only did the word come to them in power, but also Paul says something else about this small little group of believers and quickly growing group of believers, this church. He says in verse 3 and then in verse 6, he says something important about their story. In verse 3, he says this, As we pray to our God and Father about you, we think of your faithful work, your loving deeds, and the enduring hope you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we know that the Thessalonians received the word and power and the Holy Spirit, which led to a deep abiding conviction and assurance of the promises of the gospel. Great faith. But where did that kind of great faith lead them? What did they face? Now, we are very privileged to have the book of Acts, which was written much later by Luke, the physician, who was one of Paul's team members in many of his travels. And so Luke has captured for us in a handful of verses of what kind of went down in those initial Uh, meetings that Paul had or his initial time in Thessaloniki. So let me just kind of give you a rundown. What do we know about this little church? Well, we do know that Paul followed his normal pattern. He he went into Thessaloniki and began to go into the synagogues because there were Jewish people. There's a Jewish community in there. So he would go to the synagogues and preach from the Old Testament the validity of Jesus, that Jesus had to die for their sin and rise again from the grave for forgiveness of sin and restoration. He would go into the synagogues preaching the gospel message. And we know also he interacted with Gentiles. Well, in Thessaloniki, there was an immediate response of faith. Uh, people were responding because the word came in power in, uh, in among the Jewish community and among the Gentiles. There was an immediate response. He didn't always get immediate responses, by the way, but in this case, there was an immediate response. And once these new believers coming out of the Jewish community and Gentiles began to gather, trouble came. There was a disruption, and the Jewish leaders and other Jews who had rejected Christ were very distraught and upset about what Paul was doing, right? Uh, He was creating a disruption in their community, bringing in this false teaching. And, of course, the way they would argue it is that he was causing a political uprising, talking about this new king. So what do they do? Uh, They take Paul's host, his name was Jason, among other new believers to the magistrates and say, you won't believe what they're doing. They're disrupting our economy. They're disrupting everything. They're talking about this new uh, king, these Paul and these guys are bad dudes. You do not want them around. So they, they face immediate opposition and persecution, this little church. 
And that's why Paul says to them in verse 3, the enduring hope you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. They had to endure almost immediately opposition and persecution. And then in verse 6, he says this, so you receive the message, here's that word, with joy, from where? From the Holy Spirit, in spite of the suffering it brought you. Paul's pointing back, and he's also recognizing that there has been ongoing suffering and persecution because of their walking with Jesus. Of their walking with Jesus. And so he is saying, you faced that with joy from the Holy Spirit. You know, verse 3 gives us a clue what they're facing. We know they're facing opposition and endurance. And what we find in verse 3 is the way that they're doing it. It's not a grin and bear it kind of endurance. That's clear. It's not a grin. You know, kind of like the, the, the old Western movies when someone gets shot and they were like, here, have a shot of whiskey and clamp down on this, uh, this branch or this stick. Kind of grin and bear it. It's nothing like that. When Paul talks about enduring the persecution... He doesn't talk about it in those terms, does he? He says, you are enduring with joy from the Holy Spirit. That's remarkable, isn't it? That's remarkable. In fact, I would say that, that Paul would say this as well, and I would agree that you only get there, you only have that kind of joy facing persecution and suffering through Holy Spirit power, deep conviction of the future promises of God through the gospel. You can only have that kind of joy from the Holy Spirit with a deep assurance of the future promises of God through the gospel. Enduring hope doesn't mean gleeful. Joy in the Holy Spirit doesn't mean gleeful. You know, we don't enjoy suffering as Christians we don't enjoy that. We can boast in it sometimes because we can boast in the strength of Christ. But we joyfully see through it. And that's what Paul is talking about. It's joy from the Holy Spirit that we're able to see through the opposition, see through the persecution that we're facing, that they're facing. Joy from the Holy Spirit is the present anticipation. Joy from the Holy Spirit is the present anticipation of the fulfillment of God's promises in the gospel. That's what joy from the Holy Spirit is. When I used to travel a lot um, in student ministry, I would take teams of students um, on different trips in the world, and we'd be gone up to two weeks at a time. And after the novelty would wear off being there with those students and that culture, because I, I love to travel, um, there would be this deep longing of being reconciled to my family, right? I would just ache to want to be home and be with my wife and be with my kids and be in my own bed. But, you know, obviously two weeks is not that long period of a time, um, but it was the anticipation of reconnecting with my family. I would set my eyes on that to kind of bring me through those last few days. I can do this. It's just three days away, and I'll be, with, I'll be with Anna. I'll be with the girls. I'll have a home-cooked meal. That's kind of like what Paul's talking about here. Joy from the Holy Spirit 
allowed them to set their sights on the promises of God that got them through the opposition and suffering or persecution that they were facing in the moment. Now, let's be honest. None of us have been tested in that kind of way. None of us. Even those who have, of us who have tasted suffering have not tasted the kind of suffering that we could otherwise avoid. You know what I'm talking about? None of us have ever had to count the cost of following Jesus. I might be wrong, but I'm, this is a stab in the dark. I don't think any of us have ever had to count the cost of following Jesus in this room. Not like the Thessalonians. We've never had to choose. Am I going to choose my family or Jesus? Never had to do that. Uh, Am I going to choose safety and security or Jesus? Now, we've heard a lot of stories of brothers and sisters of Christ who have done that. When I, I lived for about a year in Minsk, Belarus, and we uh, obviously got to know a lot of Christians. Our pastor of the Baptist church in Minsk, his name was Brat Konstantin, and he was in prison for 17 years because of his faith in Jesus. My friends would tell me um, stories about how government officials would knock on their apartment door and ask where their dad was because he was a deacon in the church. At any moment, either one of those men could have said, I don't, want anything to, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. I'm going to choose safety over prison. I'm going to choose security over people knocking on my door every day. We have yet to face that. But let me tell you, they were able to walk through those kind of things, I believe, because of what Paul says about the Thessalonians. Joy from the Holy Spirit. They were able to face that kind of opposition They were able to count the cost and say, it is absolutely true and worth it to suffer the oppression and persecution that we face on this side of eternity because the glory to come or the promises to be fulfilled far outweigh what the world can throw our way as the world rejects Jesus. George Seiler, a dear friend of mine, tells a story. Um, He attended Iranian worship service in London, England. And they had a baptism service. And um, the spiel before being baptized is far different than what we would do. And so he said, you know, they had this, this man in his 30s up there. And the pastor says, now I want you to know, do you know that the moment you're baptized, you're going to lose your family? Your family's going to have anything to do with you anymore. Do you know that if you returned to Iran, you could be put in prison or killed? And he just went down this list of costs of following Jesus. And the only way that this man could say yes is because joy from the Holy Spirit. That the assurances of the promises of Jesus in the gospel far outweigh safety and security. Uh, that the world could have offered them in exchange for rejecting Jesus. Paul says in verse 6 as well, he says, I want you to know I get it. I've been there. You're imitating us. You're imitating me. I've been there. I'm there every single day. 
Every single city or town that I walk into, I know in just a moment I could be either in prison or dead because of the message that I tell. And he also says, I want you to know that Jesus gets it. He's been there too. Y'all know the verse in Hebrews. It says, with the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. That's the kind of joy that Paul is saying is at work in these believers in this little church that is hurting and suffering. And that joy doesn't come from nowhere. It comes from the Holy Spirit giving them deep assurance and conviction of the promises in the gospel. Now, we don't have to face those kind of things yet, but we might. And I don't have to wax eloquently on that, but it may come to even our nation. But we rejoice in their joy. So what's the result of that as we close? In verse 7, Paul says this, As a result, you have become an example to all the believers in Greece throughout both Macedonia and Achaia. We have other record of what this example looked like, 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 4. Listen to this. Now, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God and His kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia, of which Thessaloniki was one of those churches. They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity, for I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more, and they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift of the believers in Jerusalem. And so you have this example or a pattern that emerges out of this word that was received in power, giving, giving deep assurance and faith in the gospel, and this great joy as it faces opposition and persecution, it has resulted in this example to other churches. In fact, that word example um, is more akin to a, a pattern or an impression that was left by a very powerful blow. Um, you know, you kind of when you hit something really hard, if it's a malleable uh, medium, it'll leave an imprint behind him. That's what he's saying, is that you are leaving an imprint, an impact on churches all around you because of your faithfulness and because of your joy as you face opposition. And not only an example, but here in, because of their abundant joy, even though they're facing opposition, they're able to bless other churches around them. It's extraordinary, extraordinary. The, the New Living Translation says that it, they were an example to believers throughout Greece, throughout Greece. And that word is even more clearly translated as sounded out like a trumpet blast. Loud and everywhere. That their testimony of joy and faith was like a resounding trumpet blast that everyone could hear. Joy in Jesus, deep assurance of faith in the promises of Jesus through the gospel leave an imprint on the lives of others. Now, I know we don't have to face the same kind of things that the Thessalonians face. 
we don't have the same kind of opposition where it puts in a place where we have to choose. But we do have the same Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that was fueling the faith and joy of these believers in Thessaloniki in the first century is the same Holy Spirit that fuels our faith and gives us joy. And my question for us is for you and, to, and for me to really ask the question that Paul asked of the Holy Spirit. Examine my faith. Would you examine your faith? Is your kind of faith a kind of faith that leaves an imprint on the lives of your kids? Is your kind of faith and the joy that you have in Jesus and the promises of God impact the lives of the people around you? Do they hear the testimony, that trumpet blast through word and deed in your life? What kind of faith, what kind of joy do you have? Is it Holy Spirit-powered? Ask that question as we respond today. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for uh, the testimony that we're hearing now, that trumpet blast we're hearing today. And Lord, we are challenged. We're challenged to examine our own faith, for your Spirit to examine our own faith. And so, Lord, we pray by your grace, that your Holy Spirit would give us that same kind of faith that this church had. Deep assurance and conviction of the promises of God to come. And great joy in the face of opposition and suffering that we even face now. Give us that kind of faith and that kind of joy. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.